Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 2, our 2021 predictions. Big Chillians, and welcome to the 2021 edition of the Big Chill Podcast. Joined, as always, with Sam and Eddie. So, Sam, I want to start with you. What's one event in 2021 that, if everything allows for it, you most want to go see in person? And this could be a movie, it could be a play, it could be a sporting event, whatever you want. I... There's so much sport this year. There's too much sport in a way. Like I was having a look at the calendar and there's a ridiculous amount of sport. Um, I've never been to an Olympics. It would be incredible to see the Olympics. Uh, Do I need to give a specific event or can I do like opening ceremony? This is is ambitious. (laughs) I want to do opening ceremony of Tokyo because then that combines like a somehow musical event a sporting event. I think I'd love to do an opening ceremony. I'm going to opening ceremony. Eddie, is it fitting that Sam chose opening ceremony with my theory on the opening ceremony? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what have I done? Um, in the twenty for the 2012 uh, Olympic Games, Frank t- told me and our mutual friend Tim. He insisted that we went to a bar to watch the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. And his reason for doing this was because girls love opening ceremonies and that we were going to go to this bar and it was going to be packed and wild and girls were just going to be losing their minds. (laughs) As it turned out, it was me, Frank and Tim watching the opening ceremonies (laughs) in in a bar at like four o'clock in the afternoon. I stand by my statement, though, like. If you ask a majority of women what their one of their favorite things about the Olympics is, it's the opening ceremony. Like for me, if you ask me, I could care less about the opening ceremony. Like it doesn't interest me at all seeing a bunch of like what 10,000 athletes from all these different countries walk out into a stadium. It just doesn't do it for me. But I would say a majority of women would say they love the opening ceremonies for like the glamour and the glitz and, and the okay. flair. We've, we've uh, completely, we've completely. We so in our pre in season two, episode one, you were critical of a major blockbuster for not being feminist enough. And you have completely departed from this in saying that the only reason most women like the Olympics is for the glamour and the glitz of the opening ceremony. As opposed to the women's <laughs> no, side no, of the Olympics. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore because Sam also chose the Olympics. So I'm saying Sam also likes the glitz oh, and the glamour so of the opening Olympics. Yeah, he's, he's throwing women and homosexuals under the bus here. <laughs> And Sam. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't want to put labels on anybody. I guess there, you might be right that for a lot of people, they would choose the opening ceremony as the most interesting part or like the can't miss event or aspect of the Olympics. I guess the thing you overlooked is the person who chooses the Olympics as the must see part, the uh, opening ceremony is a must see part of the Olympics, probably isn't motivated enough to go to a bar to watch any part of the Olympics. Yeah, I was quite disappointed with the turnout. <laughs> yeah, your, your logic was so bad, though. I mean, 
it's hard me, to it's it, Sam. It is hard to say how excited he was for this, <laughs> and how he was telling us like we were no way, no one's going to be there, and he made it sound like we were going to walk into like a Playboy Mansion style party. The field of <laughs> like, they, were style. Be, they were just going to be losing their minds at the opening ceremony. <laughs> now, did we did we talk about Vasilis and Gossip Girl on the podcast? We did, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like nice. that's the equivalent of Vasilis thinking that if he watches Gossip Girl, he's got this phenomenal in for any time there's a group of girls, he can just interject with Gossip Girl and they're going to go crazy. I hate to say, Vasilis might have a little bit more logic than you had with the opening ceremony. At least he's got people to speak to. You were watching the opening ceremony with two other guys, which was enjoyable, but it was certainly not a speed dating event. What about you then, Frank? Which sporting event? Oh, it's only one. Royal Ascot 2021. I actually, I said, I was talking to our other mutual friend, uh, Chris, the other day, and I said, no matter what happens, I'm coming for those dates to London. So whether they even run Royal Ascot or not, I will be there and I'll just stand outside the gates and just sit there for six hours, even to if be they don't. fair, June is looking pretty incredible with like the Euros in, you know, a lot of games in the UK, uh, Royal Ascot. I think you got Wimbledon starting around like the end of June as well. Just and remember, then... just remember, Sam, we said this last year. <laughs> so yeah. let's not, let's not count any sporting chickens before they're hatched here. Yeah, I'm, I saw the 2021 calendar and I'm too excited now. So, all right. What about you then, Eddie? Which oh, it's the event? same. And I'm only going to say it's the same because it's the big event that I am most likely to actually attend. Your Olympic op- Games opening ceremony in Tokyo is extremely ambitious. Now, maybe you have plans that we don't know about, but I didn't realize the trip to Japan was uh, on your agenda. But Royal Ascot is the most likely next big sporting event that i will be at oh so we're doing realism no 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 you don't know you can I'm be just saying that i'm just saying in my mind i'm i'm actually picking one that i think i will i hope to actually be at see i would love to just roll out of bed and go to the euro 2020 final <laughs> that would be that would a be great a one. one but i thought to be more ambitious because it's next door but yeah like that'd be great to see england in a final at wembley in the european championships well that would be that's making making a huge assumption there i just said what event would you like to see i didn't say you could put in what participants will be in there (laughs) creating this dream scenario for myself actually tokyo will be the first summer olympics i've missed since the last three i was at london i was at rio and now tokyo will be the first one i miss I could have had a somewhat streak going. Yeah, I think it's not a streak before you get to three. But do you know anyone else that's gone to the last two Summer Olympics? Usain Bolt. Any non competitor? (laughs) (laughs) Any non competitor? Um, No, but in fairness, I don't. That's a weird one. Sepco. (laughs) Yeah. What? I don't I don't know that many people. I mean, I know a ton of people who went to the London Olympic Games because obviously it was so convenient for a lot of my friends. And how many of them went to the next one, Eddie? None that I know of. But then it's Except possible me. that I, it's possible that I'm I don't know everyone's whatever or not they attended. But you're right. Look, a lot two of the Olympic, Olympic games in your attended. Life. Yeah. Two Olympic games in your lifetime is already not bad. 
Just yeah. that. That's more than most people get to. I'm at zero. Oh, so. and what's the next one? Where's the next summer one? Isn't it? Is that the one in LA? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh man, no, no, I would no, have a legitimate Paris. chance. No, it's Paris. Paris. It's oh, I have LA. a legitimate chance. And then it's LA. Oh, I might yeah. have to go to Tokyo because then I could do five in a row. And then Sam will be so jealous of you at the, at the opening ceremony. <laughs> Sam, do you want to come with me to the opening ceremonies of the Tokyo Olympics? Apparently it's too ambitious. I'll just go to a bar and pick up girls. Yeah. <laughs> Japanese girls go crazy for it. Like whenever they did Asian girls gone wild, that was just, it wasn't like Mardi Gras. It was just filmed in like the four hours of the opening ceremonies from Olympic Games. I'm going to say it, the Japanese opening ceremony will be batshit crazy. I mean, just knowing what they're going to go through, they are just going to put so much stuff into this opening ceremony. It's going to be insane. I won't keep up. That's a bold prediction. Now, we're we're all in agreement, right? The Summer Olympics is way better than the winter? Yeah. I barely watch the Winter Olympics. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's... I played the game Vancouver Winter Olympics more oh, than I watched game. the Winter Olympics. 100%. That was <laughs> that a great, set, game. great I game. set genuine world records on that game. <laughs> Would you rather have an, a Winter Olympic bronze medal or $10,000? I think I would get more for selling the medal. <laughs> no. Wait, do I have to do a sport? <laughs> Do I have to what? do the sport to get the medal or do I just get it somehow by like... You've won it. Okay, I've won it. Okay. Oh, so I'm an Olympic athlete who's won so a So I'm an Olympic medal. athlete. So I probably yeah, I would don't take need that. the 10K. Yeah, no, I don't need the 10K. I'm not You're probably getting some sponsorships and stuff. For a bronze a bronze medalist in the Winter Olympics, you think you're rack, you're like raking oh, in the sponsorship sure. deals? Yeah. I'm not, not raking, but... You're I mean, not American. Listen, we talked, we talked to Frank Molinaro and he's getting... He was getting sponsorships and... Summer Olympics. You, you, yeah, I understand that. But. <laughs> yeah, but it's wrestling. Okay, like it's, you're, it's, you're a curler. Okay, you've just won bronze in the curling. Oh, am hey, I Canadian? If, I, if I'm Canadian. Yeah. If you're Canadian I, or Scottish, they go ballistic. Eddie, Eddie, if you think women love the opening ceremony, Canadians and curling, you would be like Hugh Hefner up there if you won a bronze medal. Except they might actually be angry because you've only won a bronze. But yeah, you would be they're... you would be legendary. Oh no! In fairness, there was the at the 2002 Winter Olympics at in Salt Lake City when the British curling team made the final. People yeah. did lose their minds for that and stayed up till the middle of the night to watch the curling, it just because it's no so sense. rare for a British person to be competing for a medal in the winter olympics yeah also yeah. ice hockey it's pretty big in yeah but yeah. i'm not letting you i'm not letting you take that one because obviously you'd rather take that because you'd be a professional ice hockey player so the ten thousand dollars wouldn't be like game changing for you I, I guess you could say there are a lot of winter olympic sports that are at least interesting that would be pretty good conversation yeah. pieces even like you know like i think even like uh, like skeleton or any of those are pretty crazy. Bobsled, pretty crazy. Cross yeah, country no. skiing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd like to do that one where you have to ski and shoot. That oh, one yeah, looks fun. tremendously difficult. For yeah. as easy as it looks, it also looks at the same time extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I barely watch the, the Winter Olympics. 
Oh, what and about a ski jump? I mean, that'd be amazing. What, what do you mean? So now jump? you're, so wait, what is it? <laughs> now you think it's amazing because you want the experience of doing it. So now you're skilled and you want that moment. Yeah, That's I don't need the saying. money. I want the, the feeling of being at a Winter Olympics now. I, I, I'm, I'm actually, now I think about the sports, I'm a bit upset that I haven't watched the Winter Olympics. I know. I, I like the idea. So obviously the most famous British Winter Olympian of all time is probably Eddie the Eagle. I like the idea that you would be Sam the Squid trying to follow in his footsteps on the ski jump and just splattering on the ground. I think that would be very fitting. Britain does a bit better than you think in, I think it's like Skeleton that actually does pretty well. I, most famous, I said. I didn't say uh, most yeah, successful. True. Yeah, Okay, that that's fair. I mean, yeah, apart, we could have a so squid were, at the Olympics. Arguably for British Winter Olympians, Eddie the Eagle, and then what, Torval and Dean were the figure oh, skating duo? Forgot about figure skating. Like, Eddie, you're just really, you know, you've already struck oil. You don't have to keep selling the Winter Olympics to me. <laughs> and Sam, you have a lot to look forward to because if they make a Sam the Squid movie like they did Eddie the Eagle, you get maybe someone famous to play you. Right. Probably get eaten as well, because in his name, Pion Chang. Yeah, you could get Idris Elba to play you. <laughs> <laughs> no, too old, too old. <laughs> too tall, too tall. And Eddie, how was the new year in Paris? Any champagne popped? We had a little bit of champagne. I mean, we have an 8 p.m. curfew right now, and supposedly there were 100,000 police out on the streets to enforce that curfew on New Year's Eve. So I just stayed at home, watched some TV, and then watched the college bowl games. That was nice. basically over the course of the past 10 days with the various, uh, with, with our curfew, which is continuing, but that's been one of the things that's kept me, kept me going through it. It's pretty amazing to me every year how many people I still see have just learned the difference between champagne and sparkling wine. It still baffles me at the age I'm at that I have friends that are like, did you know that champagne and sparkling wine are basically the same thing except just made from different regions? It's like, yeah, I knew that I mean, 20 years ago. Do you think they know which region it comes from? <laughs> no. <laughs> which I guess um, seeing as I've mentioned both Sam the Squid and the bowl games i don't have a full recap of the scores from your predictions but it's clear that frank did win this round of the frank versus the squid in particular because frank backed ohio state to make it to the uh final of the well the championship game of the of college football playoffs and so having correctly predicted Alabama via Ohio State, even if it had been a tie, that would have definitely been the tiebreaker. But I think he won by two or three. So, yeah, actually, I think I did really well. And then even the, the funny thing is the ones that I got wrong were I had corrected in my bets. So, for instance, one of the ones was Ball State versus San Jose State. I think I picked San Jose State on our pick em, but then was pretty all in on Ball State once I read a little more into it, especially with, with the spread, I guess I could say, not straight up, obviously. But this does bring a good point is every year, we always talk about this. 
I win a substantially larger amount of bets on college football than I do on pro football. And yet I still haven't realized this and, and taken advantage of it. I, I honestly feel, I don't know if it's just because I watch more college football than the average person does compared to like the amount of NFL football I watch compared to the average person who watches NFL. But I mean, every year I do decently well in the bowl games and throughout the year too. I just don't put as many bets on for college. Maybe I should just start switching to all college football and get rid of the NFL. I mean, I think Sam and I, a few years ago, this is maybe going back 10 years, had this plan that we wanted to learn everything about a random European league, like to become experts. Serbian. Yeah. The Serbian league or the Bulgarian league and just know that inside out because working under the assumption that there's no way the general person placing a bet on that in like at a British bookmaker knows anything. And so you're getting value from that knowledge. And I think basically what you might be falling into is that the percentage of people betting on the NFL probably have a decent knowledge about the games. Whereas, cause there's so much more going on in college football, people are just placing bets and being like, well, Alabama are good, right? Like Georgia are good. And like, that's it. Yeah. Agreed. So the one I've heard that's really good for that is the KHL, the Russian Hockey League. If you know a lot about the KHL and you know the inner workings, supposedly people make a fortune off it because a lot of teams halfway through the season, once they realize they can't make it as far as they want, they just start tanking and they'll go from like an average team to an absolutely terrible team. And as long as you bet against them every time towards the end of the year, it's, it gets like really crazy. I've heard that from several people. I mean, along the similar lines and kind of combines the events I'd like to attend. I mean, I I attend the French Open pretty regularly, Roland Garros. If I do it this year, hopefully fingers crossed in May, then I would like to do some court siding and test that out for the first time. So for people who don't know, the way basically tennis scoring works, that it gets relayed to all bookmakers from this central system, And the thing that actually updates the scoring is when the umpire on their little console they have puts the score in. And so what people have is you have courtsiders who basically realize that there is a, there's a latency between when the point finishes and when the umpire updates the score. And so if you're there in person or getting live updates, you're able to place a bet that you know has already won. And uh, so for things like, will someone break? Will someone hold serve? Who will win the next point? All those kind of bets, you can basically, you, you can place it knowing it's a completed event. You need a slow umpire. Yeah. But they do happen regularly. But isn't it illegal though? You, well, no, because it's, 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 it's the betting site, right? Well, it's well, let, let me put it this way. If, if they realize you're doing it, do they suspend your account? Yes. Okay, it's, so it's, it's illegal. So two things. <laughs> You break, it's like you, it's like card counting in blackjack. Yes. So it's not illegal. It's terms and conditions. So you'd be in breach of the terms and conditions with your online bookmaker. And you'd actually also be in breach of the terms of conditions with the tennis event that you'd be attending. It's one of those things they're not, they don't really allow you to do. So you'd have to be careful about how you go about it. But I mean, the thing is you'd need to be, you'd basically need to intentionally lose from time to time. Yeah. To try you would and need to throw oh, them can, off a bit. I can intentionally lose. I do that yeah. all the time. <laughs> but you just have to hope that you'd have one really, really profitable day. And then that 
okay, your account's probably going to be suspended and canceled, but if you can come out of it with, you know, like a nice, nice bit of money from those four or five bets that you might get on before they become suspicious, because the thing is, you're going to need to bet a kind of sizable amount of money on a very niche market. Yeah. Like if you're Usually betting a two way market as well in tennis. Right? Yeah. And so you're going to get, you're going to raise some red flags for them pretty quickly anyway. Like if you throw a thousand pound bet on who wins the next point, it's going to, it's going to make them a, probably take notice of your account. Also, as they then GPS your location and they're like, ah, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Where? Oh, Wimbledon. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I think probably play suspended is the killer, right? In, in, in running a lot of so bookies you, now just yeah. slaughter. You need to check. You need the right bookie. I think bet three, six, five tends to leave their markets open the most. So I think you'd probably need a bet three, six, five account. Um, but yeah, it's, it's possible to do. It's a big, it's a very big industry, but, uh, and normally what happens is the person who is court siding isn't placing the bets. They are on like a, like a Bluetooth, uh, call with someone s- somewhere else who's then placing the bets from like a remote location so that the person actually at the tennis isn't running the risk of getting kicked out. The way the, Eddie, this the, is the, way, the way too the, much. The, yeah, the deeper you're diving, the more I feel that we're going to have to disclaimer of sorts. That, no, I'm just saying, like it's <laughs> it, it's a legit thing. Um, you know what I want to do, Frank? Break the law. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I can still record a podcast from prison. That's true. We just might have to change the hours a little bit. Yeah, yeah. as long as long as you got internet compared to the previous three or four months. Exactly. And as long as one of you will call collect, it should be fine. I will not call collect. (laughs) I will also not call collect. What a depressing thing that would be. (laughs) I'd like it because then we could replace the intro with just like, you are receiving a call from prisoner 18765, <laughs> Edward Hewitt. <laughs> like that's, that I could, no, no, good. no. Like, you wouldn't the, say your name. You'd be like, welcome to the Big Chill Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the intro. You, you can imagine like the end of the podcast, you just hear like the policeman going across with his truncheon shouting lights out against the bars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I already have my... Uh, answering machine recording on my cell phone which is is weird enough so the addition of the prison cell if you've never called me and and gone to leave me a message my answering machine is just mm, edward hewitt and it's because like when i first tried to set it the instructions Why, were. Oh, was that the noise, or do you say mm, Edward? I Hewitt? say mm, Edward Hewitt. This is that is my answering machine, and it's because the first time I tried to set it, it was so confusing. Like it was like record your message after the beep, and I set it, and then now please record your message after the beep. So I set it again, and then it beeped, and then I was confused, and I went mm, Edward Hewitt, and of course that's the one that was the recording, and so that became my answering machine, and I've never changed it. That's like right out of a sitcom. Oh yeah, it was. It was when I couldn't believe it when I did it. It was, but so I guess speaking of bets and 2021, several of my New Year's resolutions were granted on the first week of 2021, which makes me very happy, but also makes me slightly concerned that 2021 has said, "You want your resolutions? Here they are in week one of January, and prepare for hell the rest of 2021." <laughs> So, um, but yeah, 
a pretty good week of college football with the teaser, which actually was a really nice way to do it. I basically bet one or two games every day through that whole week that they were playing college football games. So it was nice to have one or two games every day to want to watch, I guess, or be interested in watching and then finishing up uh, the last day and then had a nice NFL bet on Sunday, which I guess we can get into because the NFL, for the most part, played to form except for one very, very, very poor performance by the win and you're in Miami Dolphins who are now lost and out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I could tell you were hoping to get some nice rhyme there, but uh, but uh, they don't deserve a rhyme with that performance. The dolphins have sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was a bad performance. I mean, well, there's two things. It was a very impressive performance from the Bills, who continue to look like the informed team in yeah. the NFL. That that much. That's. That has to be said in addressing this. Then at the same time, just an awful performance from the Dolphins. What I didn't get about it is that start like first 10 minutes, for even first quarter, they were after Allen. They were forcing errors. They looked fired up. They looked like they were going to get this. And then something happened. Allen got into his groove. The coverage from the Dolphins was atrocious as well. Like Allen was just throwing it down the field for fun uh, for most of that game. But it was, it was just so weird. Like first quarter, what was it? They went up three and then they just went downhill from that. It just went absolutely. Oh yeah. Atrocious. Literally they went downhill from there. I mean, they got off to a good start. They had the interception, the really great interception to, on, to start it and then put points on the board. And you would at that moment felt like, Okay, this is this is the way you would want a must-win game to start. And then, I mean, the backbreaker fundamentally was the punt return. I think basically, whenever you have a special teams touchdown, yeah. you know you're in trouble. I always think that's one of those things. I'd love to see the percentage of teams in the NFL who win. Like, if there is a special teams touchdown in a game, I bet that the team that scores it wins just a you know, huge percentage of the time. I find it seriously impressive. What was it, like an 80, 85-yard run or something like that? 80, 80-something yards? How he's broken... Because for me, the special teams, like as soon as you break the first maybe three tackles, you've got running distance there before the pack get to you. And then that's when you kind of break three. But it's seriously impressive to see someone kind of break about two or three tackles and then just find an almost predict space to run into like it, yeah. it was genuinely impressive watching him run that um, yeah i mean and then you also get that nice moment at the end well not nice in the sense that i wanted the dolphins to win and i know frank did as well but the moment when the punter tries to square up the <laughs> punt returner and there's that moment of just when you just see the difference in athletic ability put front and center as he kind of like tries to quickly move his feet around and then just gets left for dead the Bills, you're absolutely right about the Bills, though. They're terrifying at the moment. So they've won six games in a row by at least 10, and they've won their last three by 29 points or more. I mean, I'm they going out are here. The, the team. The Bills are winning the Super Bowl. That's. Um, at that's, this moment, they're beating the Chiefs. I agree. The like, Bills are winning the Super Bowl. Time, pending, that's my prediction. 
pending it two was, or three playoff games. Yeah, I agree. It was my dark horse prediction for the beginning of the season, and I am. It is no longer a dark horse. It is. It has made its way into the light. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they look extremely impressive. And Josh Allen, in a way, has to be kicking himself. I mean, said this to Frank off air. If he had, hadn't had those couple of bad weeks, he would have been seriously in the hunt for the MVP race. Yeah, I mean, he he broke, I think, almost every Bills passing record um, that year. He had a phenomenal year. Uh, yeah, that game, it was... It was frustrating to watch because it got very out of control very quickly. You know, once it got to 21-3, you knew it was over. And and that's the issue, and we keep going back to this now for a few weeks, that's the issue when you have a player like Tua in there. And I'm not going to put this all on him because it wasn't all him. Their defense didn't play well at all, really, except for that, you know, first interception. I mean, they let up 56 points and the second half, it was Matt Barkley who had almost 300 yards passing, you know, like even he was lighting them up. So I can't put it all on Tua, but when you have a player like Tua in there and you're down 21-3 at that point, I knew they were, they were not coming back because he's not going to, because at that point you have to figure you're going to have to put up 30 to win it because they're going to score again, Buffalo. And there was no way he was putting up 30 points in that game. He did not look very good. The offense doesn't seem, they don't seem to still trust him to run the full offense. Like, I, you know, they started to throw downfield in the third and the fourth quarter and he hit some deep bombs, but then he also threw some terrible interceptions. Yeah. So, you know, it would have been nice to see Fitz magic because they probably would have thrown him in, in the second quarter at that game. Maybe, I mean, maybe even first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, they should have started him, but, <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing is we spoke about it last episode. Part of me feels sorry for him because you would have killed his confidence and you would have basically told him and the rest of the team, look, when we need a comeback, when we need to score quickly, Tua is not the guy. And so then you put, then you got put into a situation where, hey, we need to score quickly and we need to score a lot. And Tua isn't the guy, but he's the only guy. And so I was going to say, but doesn't that make his confidence look just as bad when they're like, hey, listen, it's you now. You know, we need you to score. And then what he did was the opposite. He No, but I think that's the issue is that You've told him throughout the season, you're not the guy for this, that we don't trust you in these situations. And then now, because you don't have a choice, you're now having to say to him, no, 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 we think you can do this. But you fundamentally broadcast it to him and the rest of the team that Tua is not suitable for the the moment you now find yourselves in. And it's asking a lot. Now, some people would have, you know, if that was Tom Brady, just in terms of mentality, you know that he would have gone out there and been like, now I'm going to prove how stupid you all are for the fact that you have given Fitzpatrick the ball. Like that would have given him, you know what I mean? That killer instinct of like, this is the moment to really show them how I'm going to ram it down their throats, how they've overlooked me. But either Tua doesn't have that mentality or the ability. Um, But I do feel kind of sorry for him. I also just wonder I think you're right. They haven't kind of given him the full playbook. He doesn't throw downfield a lot. He also isn't. He was a super mobile quarterback in college. Now, I know he had the bad injury, but it also then feels like they're limiting him there or he's limiting himself. Um, I mean, we spoke to each other. There was the moment when he decided to slide, when there was a chance he could have scored. And that was a bad look. And that was early on, too. Yeah. It was early on and it was 
a play. I don't think they got in. No, they did. They, they scored. That was their first touchdown. They scored on that drive. Okay. They got bailed out because they had the. F- oh. They had the penalty they, on yes. the third or the fourth down. You're whatever, right. And then they got bailed out. And then and they, they scored, but yeah. they wouldn't have. And he had a chance to score and probably would have if he just dove to the side, but decided to slide in a must win game. And that to me was just so weak. That was the one time I just did not like that at all. But the quick, so quickly, do you think, so what's going to sit worse with him now that the season's over? The scenario that played out where they went down early and theoretically he had to do his part and step up and be the leader and absolutely shit the bed and got absolutely blown out and knocked out of the playoffs. And now he has to sit with that or would it have been worse if they started out the way they did and they pulled him again for Fitzmagic and Fitzmagic brought them back into the playoffs? Well, surely he has an out, right? Because Fitzpatrick was out. I mean, uh, by, by default, it's happened. So there's not much you can do there. So, But I'm I, saying, I, like, I, what, 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 what do you think hurts his psyche more? This game, how it played out? Or if Fitzmagic was available I think, and he got subbed again for Fitzmagic? I, I think this one... Really? Hmm. No, no, no. If he got subbed, it would have been worse. I think this is worse because now I it's think this clear is that he it's is almost not a they've good proven it. Yeah, they, I think <laughs> if anything, they've proven the coaching opinion of pulling him for those kind of like fourth quarter drives, etc. Because it's mean, like we've given because you the had, because had they wait real quick. I was going to say my point is had they pulled him, he can at least somehow in the back of his mind rationalize and say, you know what, they don't trust me. But I know I could have done the same thing Fitzmagic is doing. But now he had that chance to show he could do it, and he couldn't even come close. Yeah, but to me, if you're him or if you're the coaching staff, you're telling him, look, it's a rookie season. Plenty of rookie quarterbacks start out with rough first years. The fact that you got to play in a win-and-you're-in Week 17 playoff scenario game is unusual for most rookie quarterbacks. So if you're him, that aspect, I think if you're just going out and losing, you could tell yourself, this is what happens to rookie quarterbacks. Peyton Manning didn't have a great rookie season. You know, lots of guys out there have gone into phenomenal careers and struggled in their first season. And you could have told yourself that. But if you keep getting pulled, I think you would just feel like, it's like just having any job where you feel like people don't trust you or people don't, have confidence in you and that to me would be the issue and what, the kind of elephant in the room the next season then well that's the elephant in the room here which is because of that trade with the texans for tonsil the dolphins have the texans first round draft pick this year so the dolphins have the fourth pick in this draft so it's not inconceivable that they either take a quarterback with the fourth pick or even try to trade up to take a quarterback higher. I mean, it would be an interesting trade offer. Like, maybe no, no, they have the third pick. You sure it's the third? Yeah. Okay, even even better. I mean, Wait, do you offer really? Yep, it's Jacksonville, Jets, Houston Texans. to Miami, and then Atlanta, Cincy, Philly. Uh, I thought Atlanta are. were third. But... Well, I you know what? You probably don't 
I mean, just we don't really need to go into it now, but I'm assuming Jacksonville and Jets are going to take the top two off the board quarterbacks, and then you're left with a huge drop that I don't think you're gaining much by picking someone up instead of Tua. Unless you believe in Tua, right? What if you? Yeah, that's what, what I'm if saying. It, yeah, no, but what if the Jets believe in Tua? What oh, if they the want Jets, to trade? Yeah. Trade, take, oh, I would absolutely trade Tua for to get Justin Fields. So if, if the trade offer was like, we'll pick swap and you get Tua. Absolutely. Did you, Eddie, come on. You watched that game last week. Even if that's the only game you ever saw of Justin Fields, his deep ball was amazing. Yeah, but I also watched Tua come in and win a national championship for Alabama in one of the most impressive quarterback college quarterbacking performances I've ever seen as well. So like I know that Tua has some ability and he definitely has single game ability on par with what Fields did against Clemson. That doesn't mean that I think Tua is going to be better, but I've witnessed Tua operating at an elite level in the college game. Yeah. That would be interesting though. I would like to see that happen. I like to see proposed. I mean, who says no? Realistically, I think the Dolphins say no. Maybe. Because you're still taking another unknown. You might find yourself in, and what looks worse is if Tua goes on to a really great career and then you've done this like weird pick swap and Fields is a bust. And also, I mean, the other thing going against here, the Dolphins is like, there's a certain moment where they've got to, pick a quarterback and just stick with them. You need to give someone three or four years just to know exactly what you have. Here's another subplot in that draft scenario, which again, we don't have to get into the draft because it's not even close to April, but Jacksonville supposedly has been reaching out to get urban Meyer as their next head coach. And urban Meyer thinks said today, basically the level of money, money he would want to come back to coach Jacksonville. If he were to become the coach of Jacksonville, does he take Fields number one over Trevor Lawrence? Because he obviously knows Justin Fields very well from recruiting him and then handing him over today. And obviously Urban Meyer is still around the team all the time. So he probably has a pretty good relationship with him. Yeah, for context, Sam, because Urban Meyer is the ex-Ohio State head coach who left for health reasons. Appreciate Um, the clarification. And now occasionally flirts with the idea of coming back into coaching, either at the college or the NFL level, and then ultimately decides that he'll just keep up picking up pretty decent checks to do a, like TV work, which I don't blame him for because it's a lot less stressful. Um, I don't know what he would do. I think you have to take Trevor Lawrence because even if even if it turns out the fields is better, you if Trevor Lawrence is better and you've overthought it, you just look, there's no coming back from that. Um, So you've got to take Trevor Lawrence and just hope that it's the right decision. I will say the, the, just to continue the theme of, of subplots, the other subplot from that game is, do you think the bills regret winning? Because had they lost, they would have been playing the dolphins now in the first round of the playoffs. And instead they're playing the Colts, which even though I expect them to beat the Colts, that is undoubtedly, it's, an it's an undoubtedly a significantly tougher game. Yeah, it's a really awkward matchup for them. So it's it's that's interesting actually. That I didn't know that. I mean, it's hindsight, right? 
it's done. You'd rather just yeah. be in there with the, and also, like I said about the stat about how they're just blowing teams away at the moment, they probably just would have wanted to keep the route going. I, I think that they wouldn't care who they face now. I don't think it matters. Oh no, look, and it's kind of, we have this discussion every once in a while. If, look, if you can't beat the Colts, you can't win the Super Bowl. Like, you know what I mean? Like if the Colts are going to be the team that undoes you in the playoffs, then bypassing them to play the Dolphins in the, in round one is not going to significantly change your outlook. That means you're just going to lose in round two to someone and you're not being the Chiefs if you can't beat the Colts. So, but it is just an interesting, there must be at least a thought in their mind of like, well, we easily thrumped this team in week 17 when we were barely trying and played our our like backups for half the game it would be pretty nice to be playing them in the first round of the playoffs that must have been pretty satisfying for the bills as well that their last two games have been routes against the patriots and the um dolphins because i mean that 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 division's just completely changed now. There's going to be a period of Bills dominance. And then, you know, you're probably going to see the Dolphins just hitting that second place quite often for a few years at least. So it's a really interesting change of fortunes compared to the Patriots of old, I guess. But um, I saw that the Jets now hold the longest um, playoff, not missing the postseason streak. Um, after the after the Browns snuck in? Yeah, after the Browns. So the Jets now 10 years is now the NFL streak, the longest hot streak at the moment. So Yeah, because the well, Browns, it's the first time since 2002, I think, mm, which is good yeah, for them. Was long. Contrasting, Frank and I, we were speaking, obviously, during the games. The In stark contrast to Tua deciding to slide, Baker Mayfield looked like he was willing to run through a wall to take the Browns to that playoff. Now, it wasn't the greatest performance of all time from him, but in if nothing else... I think if you're playing on his team, you know that that's a quarterback who is going to put everything on the line in the way that you expect every other player on the team to do so. So I think that was a good look for him. He, he'll probably get a few more commercial deals now that Frank can enjoy. We, we, can, we can only hope. But yeah, I mean, it was night and day watching Tua play versus Baker play in the sense of you could tell the energy Baker was bringing to his team to kind of push them forward and move them. And you could, I mean, the clearest thing is obviously on that last play when they called a designed QB sweep run for him to get the first down and he gets it and comes up and signals the first down as if that was the Super Bowl. I mean, he was so intense. It was, it was really cool to watch. Um, And rightfully so. I mean, yeah, they haven't been in the playoffs in 18 years. So that's obviously a super huge moment for them. Um, They're, they're a scary team. And what's really great is that they come right back and now they're going to be playing the Steelers again in in round one. First team Steelers. But, but yeah, I mean, that's is, that the thing, for, is, is that great for them? The Steelers must be feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, one. that's what I'm thinking on that game. Like, that's... I don't think so because for me, I don't know. I I get Big Ben is obviously way better than Mason Rudolph, but I don't know. I think the Browns now know that they can beat the Steelers. They did what they had to do to win. It wasn't pretty, but obviously I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on them. And now they're Mm -hmm. in the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. They've got nothing to lose and they're just going to go out and play hard balls to the wall. And I, I, I I think they beat them. I'm not with you there because the same logic, the Chargers now think they can beat the chiefs, right? 
because they play out a second string team and they can beat them. So that's what the Browns beat. The difference was this was just Big Ben missing. Claypool still played and had an enormous game. Connor still played and had a shitty game. It wasn't it wasn't just Big Ben. There were a few other players. And also they definitely changed. So yeah, Claypool was really heavily he was played as their number one receiver fundamentally in that game. Whereas you know next week Juju is going to be much more heavily involved than he was this week. So you can't say that they approached that game in the way they're going to approach it next week. Look, if you're the Browns, you're telling yourselves you did what you had to do. It was a scrappy divisional game against a team that would have loved to have denied you a playoff spot full full of experienced players, and you got there. And that, in actual fact, the game wasn't as close as the scoreline made out just because that drive that brought the the Steelers within two was kind of an anomaly based on the rest of the game. Um, But if you're the Steelers, you are walking away from that saying, they gave us their best shot in a must-win game against not our best team, and we nearly beat them. I think if you're the Steelers, you're you're feeling more confident now than you were feeling a few two days ago. I don't know. I, I'm not sold on. It. Look, the Steelers would be oh for their last five had it not been for a Philip Rivers just meltdown in the second half that the Steelers came back and won when Rivers put up what. I don't know if he even put up seven points in the second half, but like they theoretically should be 0 and 5 in their last five right now. That is not a team that should feel have any type of confidence coming into oh, the playoffs. Sure. Look, I, th- I look, I think I'm going to be picking the Browns to win, but I'm just saying if I'm the Steelers, I feel better now than I did before that because the expectation was that they were going to go into Cleveland. I mean, Big Ben didn't even make the trip, which isn't a sign of their expectations from the game, but it kind of does represent how they were treating it. They thought they were going to go into that game, probably lose handedly, and then move on to the playoffs. And instead, they've come out of being like, well, we've just went toe-to-toe with the team we're about to play in the playoffs, and we were in second or third gear. Speaking of other must-win games, um, did you watch the, the Rams? Obviously beating the Cards. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Tua might have had one of the worst days. I think Cliff Kingsbury had the worst day yesterday. I think he should... I think that should be the last time he ever coaches an NFL team. I mean, that's a harsh statement when he has to put in a backup who... I thought when I first saw him in that first series, I thought this was some guy they pulled up off the stadium. Well, it was yeah, like I, on the camera... It was unbelievable. Frank, that kid was terrible. Frank, I <laughs> I might agree with you if he hadn't played the entire game against a quarterback who literally was like an accountant three weeks before. <laughs> and the gave but, a good account of himself. But I'll say, two, I have a few statements about that game. First off, I took the Cardinals, so obviously I'm a little gutted at how poor that was because that was the only loss and one of my bets was taking them. When Murray was in that first drive, it looked as if the cards were going to win this. I mean, their offense was clicking. They were firing. And then once Murray was out, it was as if, like, I understand it's your backup and I understand there's a drop-off, but it was as if you went from not losing just your starting quarterback, but losing your quarterback, 
your entire line, your run game, your pass game, your playbook, your your Gatorade on the sidelines. It was like they the the switch that flipped when Murray didn't come back was one of the greatest like on offs I've ever seen a team have. I, I I don't think I was surprised they even got a first down after watching two or three series. It was so bad. But also the thing you have to think here is let's even throw out week 17. Look at the teams they lost to over the course of this season. Like they didn't lose to all oh, you lost to the chiefs last week. They lost to the Niners and Bethard Orly. Prob- poor to Bethard who probably won't start another NFL game in his career. They've also lost to the Patriots and Cam Newton, who probably won't start another NFL game in his career. It's not been a pretty season. Now, what did you think of Murray not coming back? It's a bad look. Now, I'll I'll tell you this. I think we saw two contrasting performances. I thought Fields kind of did a really good acting job in that game against Clemson of reminding everyone consistently that he was maybe feeling a little bit of pain. He went to the big men school of quarterbacking. I'll tell you that. I mean, he, he had, he had seven broken ribs, Eddie. He went to the big men school of quarterbacking. <laughs> Even if you're hurt, he did such a good job of like on the sidelines. I'm going to get on the exercise bike now and I'm going to really show people it hurts. Dude, and I, then, I, see, you are so insane sometimes with like, how you how you take injuries? He was clearly hurt. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're hiding the fact that he has several fractured ribs, which, keep in mind, kept Drew Brees out of the NFL for six weeks. Well, I, you know, I had a bad rib injury once, and I think I could have played played a full NFL game straight after. So, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh-huh. I don't even know how to come back to it. I'm not sure the angle yeah. he's going at. I don't want. I don't want to test the waters on that one. No, you know what he's baiting. Just ignore him. <laughs> but for me, the, the bad look was Murray was out there for a lot and didn't seem to be in pain. Now, that's not saying he wasn't, and, and maybe he really was, and maybe he just knew that his game obviously is being mobile and there was no mobility. But at some point, you have to look out there and see who's replacing you. And he could have just stood in the pocket and thrown the ball after half a second, and it still would have been substantially better than anything that kid put together. He's done it a few times, though, right? Like this season with Murray, like wasn't there something kind of around week nine or ten where he missed a few games because of an injury that he was like, I'm fine, but people were reporting that he is injured. It, it seems a bit strange, the kind of Murray injury situation. Like, has he been kind of like bubble wrapped or is he bubble wrapping himself in a way? I think he's I think he's got the baseball player mentality personally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, look. It's it's also interesting, right, that the most memorable play in many respects from this season was the Hale Murray and that might have kick-started the Bills. You know, they haven't lost since then. And on on the other hand, the Cardinals have fundamentally fallen apart since then. No coffee for Frank. I did not get my free coffee. Tell you what, though, just for a... We spoke about this last week, and watching that game, right, with Wolford, 
it's a crunch game. It's a playoff win and you're in kind of style, right? You get your second, you get your backup quarterback in and he has a pretty good game. Like ran the ball well, looked pretty aggressive, but also he was like granted first career pass was an interception, but you know, passed for 230, rushed for about 60 in a crunch playoff deciding game. I would be interested to know. I think they've come out and they've said that they're not sure who they're playing, but I'd be interested to know if you stick with him now. Oh, that was going to be my question. Do you, do you go back to golf or do you stick with John Wolford, the untested quarterback who is clearly more mobile than Goff. Like that was definitely an added dimension. He ran a few times for first downs that the Cardinals obviously weren't prepared for, but what's the drop off in passing (laughs) pretty significant. And, and look, if you're the Seahawks, you're hoping that you're not seeing Goff. I mean, they're going to feel confident either way. And if Goff plays, he's obviously not going to be a hundred percent. So there's that issue for him that he may not be able to throw the ball as efficiently because of his hand injury. But if you're the Seahawks, you're definitely hoping that the Rams decide to continue to let this unknown, inexperienced starter try and get them through a wild card playoff game. It's an easy one to sort out, though, isn't it? If Goff doesn't play, you can say the injury. What is it? His thumb? Was it his thumb? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's you can thumb. say that that prevents him. So. You can kind of play that one a lot easier, I think, regardless. But yeah, the Seahawks game will be an interesting one. Um, the Rams still look good defensively. Um, yeah, they do. And look, the C- the Seahawks didn't look that great against the Niners. They had to dig that one out. No, and, they did not. And the, I mean, we kind of spoke about it. The one thing you got to say about the Niners is they turn up. Like they... They, in contrast to a lot of other teams in week 17, who look like a few of them look like they had one mind on wherever they they were going to find a pandemic quarantine uh, vacation. But the Niners were, were playing as if this was a build up to, to a playoff run. And, the, and Seahawks, the Rams have beaten the Seahawks once this year. So, yeah. and the time they lost, they held them to 20. So, yeah, they, defensively, they know how to play the Seahawks. I think it's just a question of, can Goff show up enough to put enough points on the board, you know, to put 23 up is going to beat them maybe with their defense. I I mean, when you look at this, the defense literally beat the Cardinals. I mean, they put up nine points. The Cardinals only put up seven and they shut them down and scored more on defense than the cards scored on offense. It's crazy. That's how good that defense can be when they want to be. Defenses win Super Bowls, right? Special teams win championships. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since the defense has really won a Super Bowl. I mean, I guess when the Patriots won it against the Rams, that was a defensive yeah. Super Bowl. But um, what about yeah. the Broncos against the Panthers? I'd probably say that was defensive as well. That was, yeah, for sure. As much as you want to give Peyton Manning credit, um, oh, I thought I thought you were going to ask about that great Broncos Raiders finish. I thought you were going to ask. Oh, I thought, and we were gonna, we were not discussing no. that game. But I mean, the only finish that I will say is was better than that, which is a game worth discussing. Was the Titans game, um, which two things I'll say, Don't. not a great sign for the Titans. Their defense is is just atrocious. Like I don't know, going into the playoffs, that's a team that cannot feel great about fifty percent of their game. Um. 
the other thing I will say is what a bizarre that game kind of turned what well, turned first on the fumble uh, from Henry, which is really unusual. If that hadn't happened, it looked like the Titans were just going to run away with it. And then also the Titans made one of the more bizarre play calls of the year when on fourth and 11, they just decided to, to go for it. And it looked like the play clock was running, was expiring. It looked like one of those classic situations of like, they're going to let the play clock expire. And they're actually in that in-between area where they, they might even want the extra five yards for their punter. And then they just snapped the ball as the play clock expired and then just ran this terrible play, which gave the, the Texans this really short field and fundamentally an easy touchdown against their defense. It was so bizarre. Yeah, so that was, for me, there were several games happening at the same time that were all ending towards the end of my bet, but this was the one that ended up being the last one needed. And they were up 31-21, and you thought, okay, they've got this. They've got the ball up 31-21 with, um, it was like just the end of the third or just about to be the end of the third quarter. And then Henry fumbled, which, like Eddie said, rarely happens. And it was on a very weak fumble. Like a guy kind of just hit his arm, you know, and he fumbled it. And then they obviously scored really quickly. And then they go for it. Just for those who weren't watching, it was fourth and 11 on Houston's 37. So it's either a 53-yard field goal, 54-yard field goal, which, okay, is far. Or so the, you're up just to three. Say, they weren't going to do because they had their backup kicker in. So yes. they were, who had already which, missed extra points. Which then plays heavily into the end of the game story. Yeah. <laughs> but so they're not going to kick a field goal. And so the other thing that really angers me is if you know you're not kicking the field goal in that situation, then you should already know there's the potential to go for it on fourth down. Then they should have run a different play on third down to at least make it either a more manageable fourth down or to then clearly punt it. But they ran a stupid play on third down, got nothing, and then it went to fourth and 11. And I thought there was no way in hell you would go for this. You're up three. You're going to give them the ball back almost at midfield, kick it deep and make Deshaun Watson go like 90 yards for a touchdown. If he does, then he does. But, you know, make it difficult. They did the dumbest thing ever and got sacked. He didn't even get a throw off. But it was it a terrible play. Honest, but watching it, it didn't look like it, it looked like one of those classic scenarios of they're all oh, they're lining up here, but they're obviously not going to snap the ball. And I almost feel like some of the players thought that. Like, I think Ryan Tannehill basically decided that they were going to run a play there. I don't know if every other Titans player understood that they were legitimately going for it because they they snapped it right as the clock expired. They kind of even weren't totally set. It was just bizarre. I mean, it was really odd. And then obviously it nearly backfired and that would have had huge implications for them because had they lost the game, obviously that meant that the Colts would have leapfrogged them, won that division. So it would have made the Titans path. I don't think they've dodged a bullet really because they're playing a very informed looking Ravens team now. So there was no easy path for them in the playoffs, but I'd still probably rather play the bills the ravens and the bills i mean 
speaking of the Titans defense, you've got to worry. The Ravens just came off. Of, okay, it's the Bengals or whatever, but they rushed they rush 400 yards in that game. Like they are hitting the note at the right time with their ground game. Here's a legitimate question. If I tell you combined, this isn't the, this isn't the market that I actually know of, but combined over under on rushing yards in that playoff game, what number would I have to set it at before you took the under? 350? Just 350. That seems low to me because in my mind, you've got to uh, think Henry's yeah, getting Jackson's Henry's getting 100. Jackson's just had his second complete season of 1,000-plus rushing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you'd probably go maybe maybe 500, maybe just below, maybe 450. But then I you're also, but that also that means that you're expecting the Ravens to not show up defensively. No, but I just think that either one of those teams will feel like if we're going to win this game, we've got to run the ball for 200 plus yards. Like I think both teams will be feeling that. I mean, the game I, will legitimately be one of the fastest games you'll ever see in your life. Might right? be, yeah. Might be. I mean, the other the other aspect of that game that still blows my mind is how I mean, this is just a testament to how bad the Titans defense is, is how they let the Texans tie that game up with Houston getting the ball on the nine yard line, their own nine with one thirty left and no timeouts and driving all the way down no, they the hit field. Two, no, no, they had two timeouts. I don't think they did. No, they used yeah, yeah. them all. No, 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 they had two time. They only used one timeout on the. Uh, oh, you're right. Go ahead, right. touchdown. But still, I mean, that's a bad look. And the first one, like the first play right off the bat, it was like 25, 30 yard pass. Well, and that then, was even worse. And then they let the guy go behind them yeah. to get into field goal range, which is like, it's literally the one thing you don't do. Don't let anyone behind you. You know, it was bad. Yeah. And then they just dodged a bullet because that kick. Nine times out of ten misses with the way it hit the upright. I mean, the hits fact the that upright it, and goes in, unbelievable. Yeah. But no, it was an exciting finish in 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 a weekend that only really had three exciting finishes. I guess most of the games were pretty much settled. Um, Washington is. <laughs> I mean, it's a story, right? The only the the good story from it is this Alex Smith story, right? Yeah, I mean, the bad story from it is the bizarre decision from the Eagles to switch yeah. their quarterback mid-game um, and effectively God. throw the game. Now, Doug Peterson said before the game that he was considering doing this. So it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment decision. He openly said to the media that they were considering putting uh, Sudfeld in. And that if uh, Hertz was struggling in any way that he wanted to play Sudfeld in the second half, it was just in a close game. It was such a weird move. I didn't get now, it. No, here's now here's. So we sat through, I had to sit through the giants game with my family, which was quite the treat. I haven't watched a game with them in a while. And it, there was many boiling points in that game. It was very fun to watch. Um, the Giants win. Obviously, then all the Giants fans are rooting for the Eagles to beat the uh, Washington. I did not think they would beat them. Obviously, they kept them close, and Hertz didn't look great. 
but he wasn't hurting them. No pun intended. He just wasn't helping them very much. I don't know why you would ever have pulled him at that point, but what pissed me off is then Peterson says, that was my decision solely. Nate has been here for four years. I felt he deserved an opportunity to get some snaps. If there's anyone out there that thinks out there that thinks I was not trying to win the game, Ertz was out there, Graham was out there, Slay is out there. All of our top guys are still on the field at the end. I obviously want to win the game. My follow-up question to him would have been, if that was a win and you're in playoff game, would you still have pulled Jalen Hurts yeah. to put in Nate Sudfeld? Because the answer, after watching what Nate Sudfeld, he was just as bad as whoever the hell the Cardinals put in. I mean, that game was over the minute he, he caught the ball yeah, he was in that bad. first snap. He was terrible. There's no way he would have ditched Hurts if that was a win and you're in game. Sudfeld looked really – I mean, it's – it's rare when you see a quarterback who literally the moment he snaps every ball just looks uncomfortable and panicked, but that was, he just looked, I mean, he looked like Bambi on ice, like yeah. every time he got it. And there, I mean, and it was summed up in that final play of the game where they just, they don't even try just no. six yard completion. And then like, nah, this is over. Like don't yeah. even and try the lateral. It just that sums the up the NFC East, right? I mean, not yeah. play. It was the game the well, NFC no, I, East deserved, and it was probably the game 2020 deserved as like the bookend of the NFL regular season, but it was bad. I mean, that whole drive is a call out to his total BS about him trying to win the game because at that point, why aren't you just doing four deep bombs? You know, like, and he ran, like, he ran like a five yard out, a three yard attempted screen, I think, and then a terrible. 10 yard curl into the middle to end the game. I mean, if you really want to win that game, just do 20, 30 yard deep shots. You hit them, you hit them, you don't, you've lost anyway. Like it was clear they did not care about that game at all. At least he didn't. The the other weird move too is right. They went for it on fourth down when they could have tied the game with the field goal. They could have made it 17 all. They went for it, which is very Doug Peterson to do. Like that is the kind of move he would do. And actually, the play they called there wasn't a terrible one. Um, it's just weird that you do that and then you pull the quarterback. Like <laughs> that, yeah. that was the weird. It was like, well, we're kind of going for the win here, and then ah, oh, screw it, just throw this guy yeah. in, give him his moment in the sun, let him let him get a few get a few plays in the NFL I mean, so we can tell his grandchildren about it. The Eagles' loss actually helped them with their draft pick as well, right? They actually yeah, went they, down some places. Well, they uh, well, if they won, they would have been whatever. ninth. And they ended up with the six pick. So they gained three picks. Okay. That matters. Like uh, maybe, maybe I, I see this probably... from the outside, but I think he's actively made the team worse. Like there's something against that, right? There must be. It's not a good look to your team when you've clearly given up on wanting them to win. I understand that you do want to tank whatever because you want a better draft pick, but it was clear your coach said to you, I don't care about whether you win or lose. So you can go out there and potentially, you know, risk a harmful injury playing, trying to give it your hardest. But at the end of the day, I really don't want to see you win. You know, that's kind of what he said to them. I mean, how much do the Jets wish they had Doug Peterson as their head coach? <laughs> there is a guy who would have hey, got the Jets. The they can hire him day. now, maybe. Yeah. And also, what a bizarre world we live in. The fact that the Eagles are only, what is it, 
four years removed from that Super Bowl win. Yeah. With a team well, that has kind of the same nucleus there now and just how terrible they are with the same head coach, mm-hmm. the same GM, like a lot of the same pieces in place. And that that Super Bowl now on looks so odd. Yeah, the fact that Wentz wasn't even in the picture for this game as well probably says everything you need to about that one. But what I don't get is this Sudfeld guy. I mean, so you, you're <laughs> playing... No, but what I don't get is like you're playing him... So Peterson came out and said, I wanted to see him have some snaps and like assess him a bit more. Like what? What What does next season mean for Hurts then? Like, well, yeah. What is that? And what does no, it I mean, mean it's BS. Yes. Well? Like, what's happening? Were they really assessing whether he was going to be the starter? I mean, come on. I, after watching that, minutes, after watching that performance, go. if you couldn't have picked that up on the practice field, then you shouldn't be a head coach because there's no way on the practice field he's tearing <laughs> it up, and then he goes in there, and it looked like me or Eddie got fucking yeah, behind the just staff. coming off oh, so no, surprised. Wanna, like what? What? <laughs> I want to say this: I genuinely think I could have been a more competent quarterback than he was. Honestly, I really mean this. Uh, no. I don't think you would have, but. No, I don't I think, think I would have looked. Either. I don't think I would have looked as panicked. I think even if it had just been, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna be terrible, but with a little bit of swagger here and confidence. <laughs> if it was just me getting absolutely destroyed holding onto the ball, that's one thing. But the fact that he just looked as if you had literally just dropped someone into an NFL game, and they're, like, what am I doing here? Oh my god, that's wouldn't that be you? yeah anyone dropped in but eddie he even looked like it though like he didn't look like a quarterback in his jersey and his uniform i think he had both gloves on it made him look really strange and the funny thing about it is we've talked about this many times how announcers are overly positive about players on the field even the announcers turned on him very quickly. There was a point where Al Michaels basically said, I don't even know what to say anymore because this has gotten so bad. <laughs> like it was all it in was a quarter bad. as well. It wasn't like they assessed a whole game and they're like, this is bad. This was a small microcosm. Of oh, the first season. two snaps. You watch yeah. those first two snaps and, and everyone was just like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> And one thing you got to say about it is the happiest team in all of this is Washington because it kind of covered up for the fact that Alex Smith wasn't that good in that game. I mean, they're lucky they were playing another NFC, NFC East team because I don't think they would have beaten anyone outside the NFC East yesterday. And it's made the only talking point from that really be what the Eagles did and kind of overlooking the fact that Washington really did not look like a playoff team yesterday. Now, give them a pass because they've had good moments throughout the season, so maybe they turn it on next week. But, you know, another – I said all year I was looking forward to seeing – to betting on whoever was playing the NFC East team on the road, and I'm sticking to that fact. See, now, I I guess we'll save our takes for that on Thursday because – I do think there's a scenario where the one thing Tom Brady fears the most playing against are good rushing DNs. Yeah, good rushes. And that is one thing they have. And Tom Brady in a primetime night game at age 75 against Chase Young is literally making him shit his pants right now. But we can get into that on Thursday. I just have to quickly go through Nate Soulfield's 
drives because it's amazing. So <laughs> they have the turnover on downs at the end zone. So they put him in the next drive. He goes pass incomplete short, right? That was an absolutely terrible pass. It stands out my memory as being an awful, like two yard pass. They then hand it off next play interception <laughs> next series. He has a short pass for five yards to Ertz, and you think, okay, maybe he's shaking off like the nervous sister cobwebs. Next play, he fumbles. A terrible. <laughs> that terrible was a bad fumble. one too. That was a bad. Also, the, the other thing too is, I mean, there's no good looking fumble, but it was such an ungraceful. Again, it comes back to this idea of just he didn't look like a quarterback out there just how awkward he looked like trying to get the ball and scrambling for it and stuff. Yeah. He just did not look like someone who should have been out there. So his first two drives are interception fumble. He then comes out handoff makes a bad incomplete pass deep, uh, deep pass, then gets a 10 yard gain on third and six gets an actual first down, which is his career highlight right now. He then gets sacked terribly by Montez sweat <laughs> Then he has like a short pass that gets sacked terribly again. And then they punt on third and 18. The last drive he comes out and it's like incomplete, incomplete, scramble, incomplete, 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 game over. (laughs) It can't get much worse than what he did. No, and it was, it, it bookended, right? A season that was filled with some very bad quarterbacking performances and a week 17 that had at least three really bad quarterbacking performances. So it was probably a fitting end to the regular Mm. season. Although this season broke the record for most points. It's good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's some people who walk away, right. Um, You know, Tom Brady quietly had a really good season in a weird way. You know, we spent a lot of weeks, but he ended up with 40 touchdown passes. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers had a great season. Josh Allen had a great season. Mahomes had a great season. So their quarterbacks out there will be really pleased with themselves. Wilson, for the most part, had a very good season, which is the other thing. I'm just, I guess, kind of to round off the discussions about week 17, but watching, having watched the entire game of, I don't get what happens to the Seahawks offense in games where they just suddenly don't seem to have any explosiveness for a team that at times this season has looked like they can kind of score for fun. And then all of a sudden you're watching another game and they struggle to get first downs. Yeah, it was strange. I only watched bits and pieces of it because obviously I was only watching it on red zone, but I might get the Niners have a good defense and maybe it's just, they're really good at scheming against teams within their division, you know, cause they always play the Rams really hard and shut them down pretty well, but it was like non-existent. It, it was bad. At least I can say they turned it on at the end when they really needed to. So I don't know what to make of it, but they make me nervous in the playoffs picking, picking them. Yeah, I mean, that's a nightmare game. I got to say, Rams versus yeah. Seahawks, those are two teams who you just don't know what's turning up. Yeah, so I mean, the good thing with the Rams, right, is defensively they'll turn up, but offensively they could, whereas the Seahawks, like, defensively, they're just not going to turn up. Like, that's kind of the point. I, I'm interested by Yeah, that. I mean... We'll save our picks, but... The Rams have mostly turned up. They did let the Jets score 23 points. 
So, I mean, let's not just say their defense isn't always guaranteed to be lights out. You know, they've, they've had a few um, mishaps along the way defensively. They let the Dolphins score 28. You know, there's there's been a few weird ones there. I mean, even the Niners scored 23 points against them at the end of November. It's not it's not a guarantee that they're going to keep a team under 20. Well, I guess we'll again, we'll save our picks for Thursday, but speaking of picks, do we have the final tallies? Yeah. We tell us regular season picks. We do. So for anyone who's been, hasn't been listening throughout the season, we have made picks on every game um, as to who will win and who will win against the spread and uh, had a little com- competition amongst ourselves. So this week, actually, we finished off pretty strongly, a nice week. We all went 13-3, and three, picking just the winners. Yes. Um, wow, that's impressive. Yeah, and what's also impressive is we lost on different teams. So <laughs> we did kind of mix it up. Uh, a couple of us lost on the Cowboys. A couple, we Not all me. lost on the we all lost on the Dolphins. That is the one team that we all thought you, would win. You all turned me off them. I yes. can't. <laughs> Which Curious. unfortunately we talked Sam into the fact that he shouldn't pick the Bills <clears throat> when they were going to po- probably play their backups. Um, little did we know that they could have played their backups for three quarters and it would have been fine. Could have played um, it for five quarters, <laughs> probably. Um, That's not and, how quarters work. <laughs> against, <laughs> so that means that we finished Sorry, the five season halves. <laughs> just finishing, just uh, in terms of picking the winners of the games. We finished the season. I finished in first place with a record of 177 correct, 77 wrong, and one push. Frank, you finished in second place with 162 correct, 92 wrong, and one push. And Sam, you rounded it off with 158 correct, 96 wrong, and one push. So I have to say, I'm relatively pleased that all three of us avoided, that none of us had 100 losers. I actually think that's pretty good. Yeah. That's not bad. Respectable for year one. It's a very, I actually think that's a very good success rate in what has been a relatively unpredictable, like there have been some weird losers in there for all of us. So, um, and again, we're being forced to make every pick, whereas a lot of pundits and NFL analysts on TV are doing like their top four or five. Yeah. If you, if, if only our listeners could see right now, Frank has a gun to his head and he is forced to make uh, every selection. Otherwise, we will. You are forcing me to take the Texans. Every yeah, the hilarious <laughs> thing is there's no gun to his head for the Texan picks. <laughs> and then against the spread, we also, we were all, all had winning weeks in our final week picking against the spread. So I went eight, seven, and one. There was one, we all, the Colts were 14 point favorites and won by 14 points. So we all got that annoying push there because it feels like they should have won by more than 14. So that's a little bit, a little bit annoying. So I was eight, seven, and one. And wait, 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 wait. For context now, I was one up on Sam against the spread. Up. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Sam, you went nine, six, and one. So oh, one, better, no. one better than me. And Frank, you went nine, six, and one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you finish second by Texans. one. The Texans. Thank you, lit- Houston Texans. <laughs> the Texans literally didn't win you this, but got you second. No, if anything, the Texans almost lost me this for the amount of times that they didn't cover. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, uh, we also talked Sam out of taking the bills, which would have meant that you tied. So those were the kind of swing games there. Um but otherwise, uh, wow! We both went nine, six, and one. Sam and I, and we had a lot of different picks. Yeah. So, um, like, I went Broncos, I went Rams, you went Jets. There was quite a few differences, actually. I went yeah. Giants, you went Cowboys, I went Texans, you went Titans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I took the bear. I took the Bears on the points, even though the Packers win as well. Yeah, that was a costly one for you. If you look back on it, the ones that were maybe for the week that didn't work out for you, the the Packers one was the bad one. The ones that won it for you fundamentally this week, Frank, were the taking the Texans with the points. Um, your decisions, Giants. the Giants, which you're the only one, and actually the the Lions, your other team, you have. Routinely oh, lost how infuriating <laughs> you took the lines with the points and that also got you another one because you know what i said matthew stafford's swan game and you know what he came to play yeah that was an exciting game um in a shame in a way it was like a shame right that it was just so meaningless because it was actually fun to watch uh-huh. but uh yeah i think it's one of those annoying I know what's going to happen then. We're going to go into next season and take another look at that Vikings offense. And that's going to be like, look how, look how good they can be. And then they're going to miss the playoffs. The annoying thing about that Vikings-Lions game is red zone's insistence on sticking to their fundamental rules that if a team is in the red zone, they're going to show them. And because the game was 37 to 35, there was ample red zone <laughs> coverage of that game when other games were coming down to the wire. For instance, like the Brown Steelers was close, you know, kind of throughout that they could have went to many times, but had to stick to their guns and their rules. And I kind of get it, but at the same time, it's like, can't you just show us the end result at the end? You know, come on, this is week 17. There's four games going on right now that are deciding playoffs and you're showing me, the Vikings and the lions. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And also they kind of started, so they kicked off the coverage. So I had the Browns uh, Steelers game on as like the main one and then had red zone on and they kicked off red zone coverage, making it seem like they were going to really focus on the Browns Steelers. Like that's where they started and they were kind of like showing a lot of that. And then they quickly just went back to their usual thing and were hopping around showing me, well, look, here's Cam Newton getting a receiving touchdown that no one cares about. But it is what it is. Still still a decent decent end to the season. And weird because I'm normally really disappointed when the season ends because obviously it means that the end is end is near for the NFL overall. And then it's got to find a way to fill my Sundays and all that kind of stuff. But this year, it just feels a little bit different, I guess, because of quarantine and lockdowns and stuff. The season feels weird. And then also at least have the extra game or the two extra games this weekend to look forward to. 
So in many ways, like this, this upcoming weekend is the best weekend of football this year. So that after this weekend, it's going to get sad when you start to really only have a few games. Yeah. But this next week, especially with the addition of the extra wild card, you now have six NFL games and then cap that off the following Monday with the national championship. That's a good seven games of football. Yeah, no, it would be really good. But yeah, the NFL regular season is done, but uh, one, I mean, I'll say regular season, but there's no postseason. But one regular season that continues to heat up is uh, the Premier League, which gets closer and closer by the weekend. After Liverpool, the the evening that we're recording this, have lost to Southampton. So mm. again, I keep is... saying it. It seems like no one really wants to pull ahead and win this. I mean, my dark horse this year was Southampton. I just want to say that, and they are they're exceeding, like they're they're doing really well. But first time, um, only the second time under Klopp that Liverpool have gone successive games without scoring. So that's. Um, Interesting I mean, stat there, really. After they go and tank Palace like seven nil, they go that, hell twice. Yeah. That's the would be the really concerning thing for me if I'm them. Is they now? I mean, having watched this evening, they didn't really look like scoring. And for a team that used to just cut carve sides open, and if you were just missing chances, that's one against Newcastle, for example. They just missed chances. Uh, but this evening, when you watched it, you just well, you're not you're not actually creating anything. And you could you could excuse defensive issues based on missing Van Dyke and other players, but the fact that when they're playing their kind of big three up front, they're actually struggling to create and score goals, that that would worry me a little bit. It also looks interesting in contrast with City, who okay beat a struggling Chelsea side, but without anyone up front, and managed to score three goals in the first half. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say maybe they're the team that looks like they they want it. You know, either them or or United, the two with the best the best form up top recently. I mean, two points really. I I will say that you're right about Liverpool. Like these are the games, those two games that they just did, the Southampton one and the Newcastle one. They were the games where they were down or they were drawing, and they would score a couple of times last ten minutes and show that mentality of they just win. And that was exactly what Liverpool did last season and the end of the previous season. And it. It just doesn't seem to be there as much this year. And maybe that is the edge, like you say, with people like Van Dijk and leaders on the field, but they've still got their full midfield forward combination uh, up there. I don't, I don't know. I, I completely disagree. Frank, like four games, four weeks ago, Eddie was talking about Spurs as title. Oh, hold on! Don't throw me under the bus. No, no, no! I'm what I'm gonna say about. Oh, but that's what I'm saying. Is is, we are we are is no one for a wild card game. I think that's what I'm saying. Is 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 no no one is playing consistent through a long term here. Everyone is kind of roller coasting. Most of these teams are, you know, they get hot and you think like, oh, Spurs, this is it. You know, they look great, and then boom, they're back down. Then it was Liverpool. Oh, oh, Liverpool's they're taken away, and then boom, now they've you know they they drop a few. Hold on, everyone give Sam the stage because he's about to embarrass himself with a really dumb point about Arsenal. Please, no, it no, looks no. great right no, now, right? It's going to be how many, how many points? How many points are they off? I was actually some... going to make. I was actually going to help Frank's point by saying the fact that Arsenal are sixth in the form table at the moment shows how inconsistent all the other teams are. That Arsenal have three wins under their belt in the last six, and they're sixth 
in the form table says a lot about like where people are and the fact that Spurs are like 14th, but West Ham are quite high as well. I think, man, you are the form side in the Premier League at the moment. So, yeah. I think City are going to win it. And I actually think City might almost, I'm going to say run away with it a little bit here, but not in the way that Liverpool have done. In the, you have to look at what City's upcoming fixtures are because they are now placed to win, go on a very, very good run. They play Brighton, Palace, Villa, West Brom, Sheffield United, and Burnley as their next six matches. We all know City, though, right? Inconsistent. Like, it's only the last four games where they've turned it on. What do you mean? Since when have they been inconsistent? The, the start of the season. Yeah, but <laughs> you, you're actually looking, it's just interesting because you're taking a really small sample size of them being a bit inconsistent and then deciding, well, they're going to be inconsistent long term. I'm and taking about me, half of the season so far as the sample point there. Yeah, but you're looking at a squad that has, for the most part, is the same, that has been incredibly consistent over three three seasons, four seasons. I think, you know, and you've got players getting fitter for them because they're all, some of their inconsistency was a result of players missing, undoubtedly. And so they are now getting fitter. And I'm sure that... If they need to, they'll strengthen. I mean, the one, they're clearly just missing a goal scorer, and maybe they'll address that in January. Maybe they won't. I don't, they don't have to. I think if they want to win the Champions League, they probably have to. But to win the league, I don't think they need to. Speaking of that game, the Chelsea game, that's the team that have gone the other way, isn't it? Uh, Chelsea looked pretty lifeless in that game. They didn't really do anything. And now, uh, Lampard's favorite in the sack race. I think they've lost maybe four of their last five, I think it was. So they've gone from complete title contender talk that, you know, in fairness, Lampard dismissed quite quickly, but they've gone from title contender talk to him legitimately, you know, feeling the hammer from Abramovich and kind of getting sacked. The, the problem for Lampard compared to someone like Arteta um, is the money. Is the, what was it, like 200 million? they spent in the summer like Havertz Werner hasn't scored in 13 Arsenal have spent quite a lot no but I'm just on about like this like as in the summer it was about 200 million maybe 250 that Chelsea spent with no selling but you know Werner hasn't scored in like 13 games now or something yeah I don't think that increases the pressure on him because a, I don't know how necessarily responsible he is for all of those signings. B, they were coming off the back of a transfer embargo, right? So they had to do more than most sides because they hadn't added, they hadn't strengthened their squad in a while. And C, I actually think even if the, some of those signings aren't really working out, they are understandable. I mean, T- Timo Werner is a good player. If given time, I think he will adapt to the Premier League and score goals. I think Havertz is a good player. He needs to be given time and he'll get better. I mean, I think people forget there's plenty of, there are plenty of players similar to Tua in the quarterback spot. There are plenty of players who need half a season, a full season to get into the swing of things. Abramovich isn't known for giving managers that though. That's, that's one of the problems against him. Oh no, I, that might hurt Lampard. I think Lampard might, I think he'll stay just because the 
sort of history he has with the club is going to be the thing that buys him more time. If he were a random, if he were Arteta managing Chelsea right now, I think he'd be sacked. But I think because of his history with the club, he will be given this season and probably next season to try and sort things out. If this keeps going, if they lose another four or five, there'll be a legitimate problem. And I, th- I think he could be looking at the sack. I do like, I do like how different your takes are of, on Chelsea versus Arsenal. I do, I do enjoy when everything was doom and gloom at Arsenal. You said, I just a couple of results, things will turn around. And the, the fundamental fact here is, right, Chelsea are still having a better season than Arsenal. They're three points ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And playing European football at a higher level. Okay. But that's a benefit from last season. That's, that's not this season, but look, I mean, I can, I, I can go on about Arsenal is fine, <laughs> but I'm not going to, um, but it is interesting. The, 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 the kind of erraticness of this season that you've gone from people really complaining about Solskjaer like badly, but there they are right at the top. You've got uh, someone like Arteta where Arsenal finally came into a season with a lot of confidence, regardless of whether that's well-placed or not. Then obviously seeing this change, then you've got Lampard, someone that spent a lot of money, brought in a lot of big names and now is going on a bad run. Then you've also got someone like Mourinho, whereas title talks now all of a sudden that's tempered off a bit. It's And then you've got teams like Liverpool where they ship seven goals in a Villa game, beat a team 7-0 and then don't score for two. It's got one of those makings of like a Leicester-style winning season again, uh, where because everyone beats everyone, there's a potential of a wild card doing it. But when you look at it, legitimately, the only wild card there is Leicester out of all of them. Like I don't really think Everton will sustain the pace. Uh, and then you've got all the usual teams like Wolves are still underperforming at the moment. So it's... Well, let's, let's be... I mean, it is easy to also over, overreact, right? Which is City now, if they win their games in hand, will be top or joint top, depending on how things... I guess United could be one point ahead of them. Um, but similarly, Spurs, okay, we're now dismissing their title hopes. If they win their game in hand, they could be one point off top. So it is one of those, it's very easy to have kind of a knee jerk from two or three games. I, I will say, I, I do think City are going to kind of run away with it. I think City will finish five plus points clear at the end of the season. It's your hot take. I don't think it's that hot of a take. They're, I think they're favorites now after in the betting markets after Liverpool lost tonight. But yeah, it's not a hot take, but. I put it this way, I would part of me would feel like I could I would take City to win the league by more than ten points. I'd consider it. Now odds on favorite at ten yeah. to eleven. Ooh. What a Liverpool then? Like two eleven to five. Mm. Now the interesting thing coming out from uh City though, Guardiola is getting a bit of a backlash after he sort of defended so Benjamin Mendy got in trouble because he broke uh, COVID protocols by having a New Year's Eve party at his house. 
and had a couple of people over and a chef <laughs> over. Um, and Guardiola, in response to this, has been critical of him publicly, but then also said um, that uh, I would like to know how many people did this on New Year's Eve, but normally in this society, we judge the others when we first we should judge ourselves. I'm not justifying it. He broke the rules, but don't give too many lessons to the others. And this has obviously had a pretty bad backlash from a society where everyone feels like they're struggling a little bit and being forced not to see people, but don't get to do it in a 5 million pound house and don't get to do it when they're earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week with a private and, chef. Yeah. And where a lot of people are abiding by the rules, like the vast majority of people fundamentally are. So to try and say, while everyone's doing it, so it's fine for him. Um, it wasn't the most sensible response from Guardiola. Speaking of private chefs, ever since Sam mentioned that he wanted oh, to no, have... I, I know what's coming. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, he wanted to have Beef Wellington for his master's dinner if he were to win the master's and got to set the meal course. I went out and prepared Beef Wellington for our New Year's Day meal. I have to say, I've only eaten Beef Wellington once in my life, but this turned out amazing. And not as difficult as I thought it was going to be, just more tedious. Like it's a process. But well, was, was it the easy, second? Was it the second best? Difficult to master. Second best uh, Beef Wellington you've ever had. It's top two, without a doubt. <laughs> but yeah, it was. It's, it, it had good. been. It had been on my mind since Sam had mentioned that back. It in did look really good. October, I'll give you November. credit. I'll give you credit. Oh, it, it tasted did. great. Yeah, it was just a process. Here now. <laughs> yeah, no, it looked. It. I haven't made beef Wellington, uh, so now you've you've got me beat on that one. I'm more English than you, I guess. My passport. When we do the my passports in English, and I've made. Speaking of which, I am fast approaching a very sad moment in my life. Uh, in spite of the fact that I was born in Paris, I have avoided ever taking French nationality, and I have also uh, benefited from the fact that having a British passport and living in France has meant that I've never even had to take a visa here. But on January 13th, as a result of Brexit, I have my meeting to get my first ever French visa, which is probably the first step in the process towards me eventually taking French nationality, which is going to be sad because people like Frank my whole life have told me that I'm actually French and I've always been able to counter it with don't have a French passport. So no, I'm not. But sadly, that argument is about to go out the window, I think. You could move back to Brexit Britain. It's great over here. Brexit hit me hard. I mean, A, I've got to have this meeting on the 13th, and B, on January 1st, I turned on my TV hoping to watch. The, <laughs> I woke up early hoping to watch the Big Bash League on January 1st, only to find that BT Sport was no longer working for me. It was a sad moment. It's not the way you wanted to start the year. I love how that's what constitutes hitting hard with Brexit. <laughs> yeah, that and I think I've probably yeah. had lost some fishing rights or something. I don't know. 
Uh, Eddie, it's about time you embrace your your culture and your nationality. Come home. Yeah. Come home. But I'll at least give they them credit. They've they've handled it. normally my interactions with administration are not smooth, as any listener will know from my my uh, internet fiasco. Uh, this was a relatively simple process in terms of the French handling British citizens living in France post Brexit. So I can't wait for it to be the guy from Orange <laughs> doing your visa. <laughs> <laughs> They don't call you the Prince of Paris for nothing, Eddie. True. No, it it, it will make that uh, that moniker a little bit tr- little bit truer. But yeah, no, it's uh, kind of sad times. Uh, I know, obviously, a lot more a lot more people are going to be a lot harder hit by Brexit than I am. Um, but uh, it's these it's these little little defeats that really add up and make you feel bad. Well, Eddie, I guess maybe to make yourself feel better. Are there any things in 2021 that you can predict that might give you some financial success besides you becoming a full-on French citizen? And court-siding at the French Open. <laughs> yeah, that's plan number one. That My 2021 is probably riding on, on that fact. Um, <laughs> but, okay, I've got, I've got one prediction which hopefully comes true and which may improve my life in in several ways. And that is my prediction that Adam Armstrong will finish as top goal scorer in the championship. He is the angel of the north. <laughs> yes, currently best priced at 11 to 4. He is second favorite and uh, I think he will keep his scoring form up for the remainder of the season and finish top scorer. No one on planet Earth, will have the same two <laughs> predictions of you as to gain French citizenship and have Adam Armstrong win in a championship. True. You're right. I am a very <laughs> unique person. That is a unique outlook. Yeah. Yeah. He is currently, for context, he has currently one goal. He has 15 goals so far this season. He is one behind Tony at Brentford, who is the favorite to finish top goal scorer. Do you want my second prediction for the year? Which I promise you, based on my first two predictions, you won't see what's coming is my third prediction. Although it isn't quite as... Well, I mean, the first one wasn't bold, but this one uh, definitely isn't. And that is Gonzaga to win the college men's college basketball championship. They are... 11 to 2 favorites to win March Madness. And that is my prediction for this year. All over pretty quickly. What about the second half of the year? You're just going to ride your winnings yeah, into that's... the Ark and Ascot. And... I will have just bought an island by then. You know, the unprecedented Adam Armstrong Gonzaga double, which no one will have seen coming. You know, that's 11 to 4, 11 to 2 double. That's just going to set me up for the rest of my life. It might actually be flagged by whoever you bet through. As I a, think this, there'll be like a 50 real bet. 
I'll tell you what, I'll try and find out what the maximum stake they'll allow me to put on the double is just to see out of interest at what moment they tell me it's too much. But those are my first two. Maybe one of you can go and I'll throw in, I'll sprinkle in some of my other predictions for the year as we go along. So I don't have many predictions. I don't like to predict the year. I like to live day by day, Eddie. So I've come up with a few just general ones. My first one is that this year there will be a new winner in the Grand National that is not named Tiger Roll. That's not very bold. I mean, what you're saying is out of 39 runners or something like that, 38 of them are going to win. One of the 38 will win the Grand National. Yeah. And you would have I mean, said that the last few years and you would have been from, wrong. No, no, no. But also from an underperforming Tiger role so far yeah. year to date in the hunt season. And, and he's still favored. Yeah, okay. he's favored. But if Could you, you tell if me you... the odds of not the Tiger role, the, the field in the Grand National. <laughs> it, it's not even, I don't think that's even a market because it would just have to be. I mean, Tiger Roll is 20 to 1 to win. The field's just going to be like 1 to 100. <laughs> That's me. All right. Fine. Do you know what my bold... Hold on. It's, it's, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to take it back. I felt like I wasn't that adventurous by picking the favorites to win March Madness. I'm going to go out there and say, I am not going to win the Super Bowl this year. It's bold, but it's my sporting prediction of the year. <laughs> hey, Listen. When he gets down to four to one, when the Grand National goes happen. off, it's not going to happen. If, right. if Tiger Roll runs and there are positive sort of vibes coming out, I think maybe look at a nine to one, 10 to one favorite. At best, I it's think. Not gonna be, it's not going to be the Tiger Roll prices of previous years, of which he was four to one last year. Yes, in a race that didn't take place. No, sorry, the year before he was four. Okay, to one. The, the last year he won, he was four to one. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the race that didn't take place, he was. He probably would have been shorter than that. No, I mean it's a great horse, and maybe Tiger Roll wins. I, I mean, but no, Eddie, he taking won't the win. taking the field in the Grand <laughs> National is not a bold bet. It so. wasn't a bet. It wasn't a bet prediction. It was just a prediction. How do, All right, do, throw, how throw, do you duke a curse tiger roll now? Or how do you duke a curse the field? Every other horse falls. <laughs> Every other tiger roll is going to be the only horse that finishes that race. See, this is why I don't even want to do my predictions because the other things I would like to predict, I actually want to see happen. So I don't even want to throw it out there to the universe. Oh, no, no. We need, we need this. We need this. This is the episode that proves the duke a curse. So throw out more things we'll, you'd like we'll to We'll start see documenting your picks as well even your like half picks where you're like go the over go the under and i might start just writing them down as we go through the year and then we can truly assess oh i won both the ones i the, said the, the other potency day potency of your curse my other one then i'll give is that the chiefs three-peat super bowl champions over the next two years wow that's a pretty bold prediction so they'll win this year and then and they'll win the following year, year as well that's a pretty see, bold. I'd love to see someone go to a bookie with that double. 
where they're just like, <laughs> so I want I want the Chiefs to three P, and they'll be like, wow, okay, good bet, yeah, yeah, these okay. are the odds. But I also want the field in the Grand National. You parlay that just as like the yeah, just to add it, just to get a it goes three pound. It goes from like double. It goes from like twenty. <laughs> 20 times to 20.05 times yeah. and then tiger all wins and the chiefs win both super bowls <laughs> just get him a value yeah like if you would come into labricks with that i genuinely would have laughed at you <laughs> i would have been like is this guy serious and for my friend eddie to get french citizenship <laughs> that's my treble yeah, you could do that bet like um, Chris Kirkland's dad did, right? On him, him appearing for England. You can do that same. Now you got to bet on me appearing. Actually, technically, I've already played for France in a sport, so you, you've got a winner there, Frank. If you can get someone to take those odds, and you know who's really worried when he hears me talking about that, Paul Collingwood, because he knows. Oh, how God. intimidating I was when I was playing for the French national cricket team. And Paul Collin was just happy that we were not a test playing nation because I would have embarrassed him on the pitch. That's probably the giveaway really, wasn't it? Not a test playing nation. <laughs> just because the system is fixed for us, Sam. The system's it's, fixed. It's just, it's it's just discriminatory. For the colony. Yeah, it's just for former empire nations, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking Basically. of which, that's one of my picks for 2020. Is well, for the empire coming back? Yeah, long live the empire. First stop, get rid of, get out of the EU. Next stop, recolonize. Genius, actually. Yeah. All you have to do is just take the Commonwealth again, <laughs> and and you're golden. Yeah, easy. Just, just renounce all of their state laws and parliaments, and you're you're golden. Anyway, no, mine's a little bit harder than that. Uh, mine's England to win the T Twenty Cricket World Cup. So they're. They're second favourites. I think they're probably about three or four to one. Uh, it's in India. So India are favourites. India are probably the best team at the moment with the conditions that they get within India. But the good thing about this England team is they can just, as they showed against South Africa, they can just blast it away. It doesn't matter what score. They can either get extremely close or they can either bowl you out pretty quickly or they can bat you off the park as well. So I think England to win a T20. I actually think England are going to have a good year because I think they're going to do surprisingly well in the cricket. There's a load of test matches. I think they're going to do surprisingly well, if not win the Euros in June. And I think they'll probably win the Six Nations. So there's what? another win. Is it the rugby they're going World to win Cup? The t- no, no, it's no, the Rugby no. League World Cup, I believe. Yeah. When's the next Rugby World Cup? Three, uh, two years? Th- three years three years away now mm. i was gonna say because well, that would be an interesting one if you took cricket world cup rugby world cup soccer world cup all three england you could do it <laughs> it's it would be bold and it's never gonna happen but you could do it and you throw in the field in the grand national and that's your loser <laughs> that's the loser <laughs> But yeah, I, I think my kind of overall 2020 pick will be that I think England are going to have a really good year in, in international sports. So what would Euros, cricket, and Six Nations be? So Euros, they're about sixes, sevens. I think Cricket World Cup, T20, they're about fours or threes, and maybe even threes. Um, and then... 
I mean, Six Nations, they're probably maybe like one to two. I'd probably say maybe like eight to 13. It is a 63.35 treble. Nice. And then so throw he, in Andy Murray to win Wimbledon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, I want the better win. Yeah. <laughs> So that's England 11 to 2 to win the Euros, England 7 to 2 to win the T20 World Cup, and England 6 to 5 to win the Six Nations, actually. I like that bet. Okay. There you go. I mean, it's never going to happen. What doesn't happen? Times it will. The Euros, probably. The Euros are the least. I mean, they are obviously are in odds wise, but they are the least likely in terms of. I think England cricket wise have a bit to prove in playing spin. I think I've got a, I've got a little big concerns for almost all their ability to put up sort of 200 run scores uh, in T20 cricket. I, I have my doubts when it comes to playing on turning pitches in, in India. So I might actually say that's the, le- the one I'm the least confident about, but you never know. So Frank, what other bold predictions do you have for us this year? I'm good. wow (laughs) nope nope i'm out first first time listeners will be so impressed by your bold predictions i i'm generally nervous about the curse that i instill on people and teams for instance i was very ready to have a phenomenal curse story which still was a slight curse the browns needed to beat the jets to make the playoffs two weeks ago. Do you know what I wore the day before? My newly arrived Baker Mayfield t-shirt was <laughs> worn the day before the Browns played the Jets and the Browns lost and then almost blew it in week 17 to miss the playoffs. So that's the kind of things that I'm dealing with. So I don't want to give any predictions for fear that I might ruin something I really want to see happen. I guess Case I, in point, I, I, saying that I really don't want to see the whole field at the Grand National die. So oh no, I don't no, think don't, anyone don't, does. Don't do this. <laughs> so I'm really you hoping could, that one doesn't come true. Maybe they all pull up. They all just pull you up. See, did you see a jockey died in India? Uh, I think it was yesterday. Horse slipped or fell over and uh, the jockey died. The flat race. Was wow. that horse okay? I think the horse survived, yeah. Okay, good. But now he's got to live with that emotional toll of killing his jockey his whole life. uh, Yeah, Frank, I just want you to know, by the way, that if the Duke of Kerr strikes on this field, better yours, you may be responsible for the cancellation of the Grand National. (laughs) Like, as as an entity. Like, I will pin a 300-year horse race cancellation on you. If something happens because of this curse, I'm I'm just gonna say maybe they all just pull up. I think that still may get it cancelled though, because they would all question <laughs> maybe the fence was too high or something like that. Like Frank, you can't go near the Grand National. <laughs> oh, I will say one thing I did do over the uh, New Year period is I finished the Mandalorian which we obviously spoke about quite a bit. Wow, we did our, crushed it. Yeah, Fixed I mean, it's not it. that wow. long, right? Um, and I've got a big, I've got an exciting announcement to make, which is I have been No hired. spoilers. 
Yeah, I no spoilers. Been, no spoilers, but I might be able to provide some of them because I've been hired as a writer for season three of The Mandalorian. Why is that? Because, I mean, I just, the formula is so simple, right? Which is he needs to find someone. He finds someone who can help him find that someone. That person needs him to do a favor. In return, they probably fix his ship. And then off they go. I mean, this is every episode. I enjoyed the TV show, but it is such a formulaic uh, experience. Watch and to kind of binge watch it in the sense that we're watching like one episode or two episodes a day. It wasn't like I sat down and plowed through them all, but you do definitely get the feeling of pretty sure I've seen this episode before. It's just the person who he's interacting with is a little bit different looking. See, it's part of what I like and dislike about the show because I like that each show is like episodic where it's he has his own single adventure of, you know, I have to defeat this monster to get this thing to then advance. Kind of almost like a video game-esque kind of thing. And I actually like that, but at the same time, it it, it does get very repetitive very quickly with what you're saying where it's like, oh, find new guy. New guy has challenge. Defeat challenge get like upgraded now meet new person get new challenge like it, it becomes very just like down the line uh so yeah it's it's part of the reason why i like it and part of the reason why i kind of get annoyed sometimes where there isn't much progression every episode does feel like the same but for the most part at least every episode within it is kind of ex- an exciting adventure for the most part like what he has to do yeah no like don't get me wrong i enjoyed it I wouldn't put it in like I wouldn't walk away from it being like one of the best shows I watched in 2020 or anything like that. But I enjoyed it and I will watch any future seasons. But yeah, it did just feel uh, yeah, this. There's a strong sense of deja vu in every episode you watch. I'll put it that way. No Ted Lasso. No. No, no. Which we're still waiting on Sam to watch. So then we can discuss in more depth. Think he's watching it now based on that silence. I, 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 I yeah, that's not much else to say. Yeah, he's never going to watch it, so we probably could just discuss it in more detail. But he's because let's be honest, Sam is never going to sit down and watch these episodes. What? That's going to really suck when we have Jason Sudeikis on and Sam can't interact with him about the show. Yeah, well, newly single Jason Sudeikis, so I'm sure Sam would be interested in other things. But the <laughs> the uh, uh, why? I mean, part of the difficulties of watching Ted Lasso is the fact that it's on Apple TV. I mean, it's the one the, the hindrance of having to deal with these this kind of now like multitude of different uh, streaming services, and Ted Lasso happens to fall on one that kind of has nothing else. Like since I've got Apple TV, I've watched Ted Lasso and I watched that Tom Hanks movie that he made, Greyhound. Oh yeah. From when World War II. Now there's a movie that didn't need to be made. It's actually an interesting part of the war that is underdone. The sure. Atlantic kind of like that kind of area. But the only films that seem to be done about it involve a very aging Tom Hanks that wasn't needed or like what was it U571 with Bon Jovi <laughs> like what is going on with the Atlantic theater why is it getting no attention but yeah I mean, you're right 
It was watchable. It was kind of an action film of generic portions, basically. It was an action film in which nothing really happened, though. <laughs> like, you fundamentally, you got to the end of it, you're like, I think there was... It was relatively short, right? I don't know what it was. It was probably like 80 minutes long. But yeah. you got to the end of it, and, and even though it was fundamentally nonstop action, like there was no other plot. It was just ship getting across the ocean. But... You then also thought, I think there's been about four minutes of action in this. I like, love had how no... you boil everything down to these very base levels. Like, I'd love to hear you talk about football where it's like, well, it's just kick in the net. I had that once, you know. When I, when I was 14 years old, we went to play a football match and we went on an away trip and one of our keepers didn't travel. And our second keeper got injured. And at halftime, I I thought I was man of the match at this point. I was playing central midfield. I thought I was pulling the strings. I thought I was having probably my best performance of the season. Really felt confident going into halftime. And then our coach said, uh, Eddie, you are one of the few people who has ever kept goal before. So we're going to put you in goal, which was a bit of an ego blow to my ego when he thought I was having the, my best game of the season. And then I said, oh, I haven't done it in a long time. I don't really know what I'm doing in goal. And uh, he said, just go speak to our goalkeeping coach and he'll give you some instructions. So I went over to this guy who is from the Caribbean and kind of spacey. And uh, he goes, Eddie, it's really wait, simple. Wait, wait, wait. Can you do it in the accent? No. <laughs> and I'm not doing that. And he goes, Eddie, it's really simple. All you have to do is keep the ball out of the goal. And that was it. <laughs> Those were his instructions for me. And then he proceeded to send me out there. I will say I only conceded one goal. So it wasn't, and our, our actual keeper had conceded two in the first half. So maybe I missed my calling. When you said he was a bit spacey, I honestly thought you meant Kevin Spacey. Like he was a bit Kevin Spacey. Oh, he did sexually harass me after the game too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> glad we got that cleared up so you yeah. did mean kevin he was a bit kevin spacey yeah okay yeah, yeah. he stopped my broadway career but the um but yeah no it was it was an interesting now i will say talking about me missing my calling i really regret that i didn't try and become a punter or a field goal kicker i think i could have really easily done that i mean genuinely i think i could have done that um and as NFL kickers continue to just miss extra point after extra point, I do not know what's going on. Like it's so common, particularly when you're watching red zone. And a lot of times you don't either, you don't pay attention to the extra point or you don't see it. And then you go back after having seen a team score a touchdown and six zero. And it's just like really, really bizarre. And the number of times it happens multiple times in a game actually makes it quite. I always used to feel like you always knew, you know, you could see what the score was and you could be like, Oh, it's 14, six. So they one team scored two touchdowns and the other team scored two field goals. And now you look at it, it's like, oh, it's 18 to 15. And it's like, no, no, they've scored. That team scored two touchdowns and that team scored three. They like, you know, like it becomes very odd. And I the thing that watching the bowl games has puzzled me with slightly. Obviously, NFL kickers are better when it comes to long distance field goal uh, field goal attempts but it almost feels like college kickers are more reliable with extra points 
which I know part of the aspect will be they're kicking over smaller lines and just like less speed coming at them. So there'll be a little bit more time, maybe and less pressure. Well, And the distance is different. Yeah, but still fundamentally still the distance, at the two yard line. But the distance shouldn't matter. <laughs> like you are close backing enough. up a decent amount and the they're close and they're close enough that like you have to really skew it to to be missing like genuinely like it's not like you're a little bit offline to miss an extra point you have really mishit that ball see here are my things along those same lines the kick out of bounds on a kickoff could be Happened one of the lot. most egregious things you can do as a kicker and i don't get how it ever happens ever it's it's inexcusable to kick it out of bounds as a kicker and it happens often i watched one bowl game where it felt like it happened like five times three times (laughs) i watched that same bowl game i watched the same bowl game it just blows my mind the other thing they weren't weren't even close it wasn't like oh just got off it was like no the ball actually went out of bounds at like the 25 like even if there wasn't a penalty for this you've given them great field position. The other thing is punting. I do not get how your only job as a kicker is to punt. You don't have to do like field goals at varying distances and a kickoff. You have one kick. That's it. Just the punt. That's all you have to worry about how they still kick so many for touchbacks and how they can still consistently have so many shanks it's so bad. I feel like it's gotten worse. I feel like punting has gotten worse over the years. And the one that sticks to mind, which again is a little unfair because I'm picking on college is the SEC's best punter punted a three yard punt. I've never seen someone shank a punt this bad. And then his other punts were like 38 yard line drives it, and then he's the best punter in the sec a very good conference it was bad but the fact that they still don't just do like coffin corner kicks anymore instead of kicking it to try and get them to down it but then kicking it to either the 25 yard line where they then fair catch on the 25 or kicking it to like the one yard line and expecting your guy to run down there and be able to jump and down it at the one, like there's no intermediate 90% of the time with kicking, which then if that's the case, then why not just go for a coffin corner in a worst case, you put them on the 20 in a best case, you put them on like the five or the eight or the 10. Like I don't get why they're not angling kicks out of bounds. Yeah. The, the directional punt seems to have completely gone out of fashion. Uh, which is odd. The one thing I will say that the aspect of punting that frustrates me the most is when like someone's punting from say their own 40 and they do like a 30 yard punt that the guy like fair catches at his own like 25 or 30. That blows my mind where I'm just like, you would just be better off just absolutely cannoning thing, this thing through the back of the end zone. Like if it's really in a situation where you think, risk reward best case scenario we're pinning them on the 15 just just boot it like just have the touchback at that point that that one really bothers me when i see it when a guy like punts and you're just like the guy's just fair caught it at his own 35 like how have you done this like you're not pinned deep you've literally just done this like 25 30 yard punt this makes no sense to me the one that bothers me the most is when they're on about the 45 yard line and it's just, just a tad too far for a field goal. 
and then they instantly just kick it into the end zone for a touchback. So you've went from the 45 to the 20. You're telling me that you can't angle a punt out of bounds that close in, in their own territory. Like you're in the other half of the, of the, of the field. You should be able to angle better than just kicking it as a touchback. You've gained cra- 20, 20 yards, 25 yards. It's even crazy to me. You don't really see directional punts even in college football which you'd think it'd be a lot easier because the punters get way more time. Like they don't really rush uh, like the punters much. And so they're able to actually step to one side, their ability there, they got time. The fact that they can't just angle a kick out of bounds on the punt. That's even more mind blowing. If an NFL punter sat down with us and explained like, look, you got so little time that it's too risky to go directional because maybe you, the shank factor increases Maybe a punter could explain that to us, but on a college level, you can't because then base fundamentally, and they do it all the time, right? Cause there's a bunch of Australian uh, punters in college football, which they love to talk about. Like every time an Australian punter does it, they're oh like, doing like they do it down under like every single time the guy punts. But fundamentally at that moment in time, you are just kicking it like a rugby player, like a fly half would kick a, kick to touch in rugby but on that note after our our rants about punting which i'm sure the content everyone's been waiting for uh we'll have to try and get pat mcafee on i guess to to, so he can tell us how we're wrong but um i guess we can just save it the rest for for thursday where we'll be making our predictions and previews for all the uh wild card games yeah, I have a feeling we're not going to be unanimous in our picks. I don't think so either. When I looked at them and I looked at the spreads initially, I was like, I don't think we're going to be agreeing much. There's some tough spreads, I will say this. I feel like almost... Th- I will say this, there's no game on the spread that I feel super unbelievably confident on. What's a better spread? Nutella or peanut butter? I'm not a big peanut butter fan, so it's going to be Nutella all day for me. Peanut Because you're French. <laughs> yes. Okay. There we go. Wait, isn't it Swiss? Close, Close enough. enough. Uh, <laughs> might as well be. It's more French than peanut butter. Very much. I've never met a French person who likes peanut butter. Oh, no. <laughs> they, it's, it's becoming increasingly popular here, but still kind it's of Trey, hard to It's find. Trey Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hipsters love peanut butter. I love that if there's love, an American thing that's been around since the 1800s. Hey, Frank, you can buy a Marmite peanut butter in the UK. Oh, dear God. It's, it's actually not that bad. It's, it's, I mean, that's two things I dislike. And I don't dislike that many things when it comes to food. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> I had to specify there. I had to specify. I'm not a picky eater, so... I mean, look, I can eat peanut butter. Uh, I, I generally cannot eat Marmite. Wait, is it, when you say it's a Marmite peanut butter, is it both of them just combined? Marmite. Not Marmite. I think you said Marmite. No, I think I said Marmite. Ah, Marmite Sam. Marmite. No, and it's more, it's more, I think it has it in it, but it's more kind of flavored to Marmite than okay. it is. My mate Sam almost sounds like it'd be like a really bad Tom Hardy accent he would do in an Australian movie. <laughs> Not far off, yeah. 
in his when he remakes a, when he does a dark version of Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could eat that one. I don't think I would enjoy that one. I do love Nutella, but I have to go over peanut butter over Nutella any day. Nutella is more of a novelty for me. I peanut butter can be included in more of my everyday. So yeah, I'm yeah. getting peanut butter. By the way, just did want to say Sam and I were speaking during the week. And part of what Sam said is he was considering getting a tattoo. And I said then, well, if he's thinking about getting a tattoo, we got to up the stakes on one of the future like predicting contests where the loser is forced to get a tattoo of the other two's choosing. That would really Absolutely put not. one of them shoulder blade. That would make like me quit massive. the podcast. <laughs> that would really put Sam the Squid on the. I would love to see that because I would not hold back, Sam. I am not getting a squid on my ass cheek. <laughs> Sam no said ass cheek. No one oh, said ass cheek. It would be no, usually the person gets to pick the spot. No. One of us. Oh, so you're doubling still... down. One gets to pick the spot, the other picks the tattoo. And they don't know. Like they don't know the other thing. So they each submit it. It's like a blind submission. So you go to a tattoo parlor and one person says, this is what he wants. This is what he's getting. And the other person goes, and this is where he's getting it. Yeah. Nazi symbol forehead. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have to hope they remake that movie. Which one? Wait, what? What's the one? What's the one with that? Ed Norton. Oh, American History X. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the Nazis were real. <laughs> I know, but in the movie, he has it on his head, doesn't and he? And also, surprisingly enough, they've yeah. been in quite a few movies. Yeah. Yeah. Including in that, uh, in that, to that uh, Tom Hanks movie, Greyhound. You know who could have done the voice? That would have been a good part for Tom Hardy to do the uh, U-boat captain just calling out in a weird voice and then howling like a greyhound. That would have been. <laughs> but without without like the megaphone microphone. Exactly. <laughs> that would have been that would have been perfect for him. That's a role he missed out on. No, t- no, Tom, just say it into the megaphone. You don't have to make the voice sound like you're playing from a megaphone. No, I've got this. <laughs> He is very difficult to work with, apparently. So maybe he would get very aggressive at making them use the, oh, yeah, the I heard announcer com. Is this is this is this more stuff you learned from your like biography of Tom Hardy you watched? Yeah, from my clickbait biography. Because he had issues with uh, Charlie's Charlie's Throne, right? Yeah. Theron. On uh, Mad Max. Yeah. Talk to you boys in a few days. See you. See you.